0: Hello, and welcome to episode 151 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Joe D. McPhee, creator of Amazonia. Amazonia One is on Kickstarter now until October 18th, 2020. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co host Noah. Hey there. Joe, uh, thanks so much for joining us to come on and talk about this book. Uh, Before we take a deep dive into sort of the the making comics talk, why don't you let folks know who you are and uh, what you do?
1: Okay, uh, people out there, uh, my name is Joe D. McPhee. I am the president of Exigency Studios, and I also am the creator of Amazonia, AWF, and Primetime Saturday Night, of which we're going to talk about Amazonia today. Um, Pretty much I have been in comics professionally for about a decade now a little bit over a decade about 12 years uh all started with this one uh title amazonia way back in uh, 2008 so it's pretty much kind of like when i'm kickstarting for the 10th anniversary of this one uh, particular ip
0: very nice and could you give us sort of an elevator pitch on amazonia
1: Uh, Amazonia is pretty much about a character by the name of Elisa Masters who is returning back to her hometown after being arrested for murder back in her high school years. And she's just pretty much coming back to try to live a normal life. However, the town that she lives in is now up under the grips of a maniacal business mogul. And she's pretty much trying to unravel the secrets of how the town went downhill
2: at that point. That sounds really uh, really awesome. uh, Sorry, that does sound cool. I'm I'm agreeing with you, Matt. And then also, I was going to ask, is this an idea that you had? So this is uh, the Kickstarter is for the 10th anniversary of the first issue of this book.
1: Has this been an idea
2: that you've had for a long time?
1: Um, Yes, it has been um, an idea that I had a long time. I've been having a hard time trying to find an artist for it back when I originally created it. And I got to the point where I just couldn't wait any longer. So I just took it upon myself to start drawing it. And it almost had a point well, almost ran to a point where I almost canceled this series until Comicsology took interest into it.
2: That's awesome. So uh, what uh, did you, so did you, were you always more of a writer than an artist or did you like to draw and write comics as well um, when you sort of got into the industry?
1: When I started to get back into the industry and I was doing it more or less like it as a hobby back in like two thousand four, a uh, buddy of mine who was still going to school for animation and got me back into you know doing the whole comic book thing. And during that time, I was doing most of the writing. I was helping him out with storyboards, and you know, it's his storyboard classes. A lot of the stuff for animation. We did a lot of his student films together, and everything. So I was more on the writing side. And okay. while I was doing, while I was helping him with that, I was actually developing um, Amazonia at that point because we was talking about different things and going on and uh, dealing with different ideas that we had and originally he was supposed to be the artist on the book but he got kind of like cold feet and then when I pitched the ideas to other artists everybody wants to change the idea of what I originally had and think that it was it wasn't going to work and it was just too you know too complicated dealing with perspective it's like either the character was too tall or they felt that the power set was not you know, good enough, or the story was not interesting, so I just took it upon myself just to put it out there by myself.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Joe, so you said that uh, earlier in that sort of that that answer that you were you were working on storyboards. Do you sort of have, like, like a formal art training, or is a lot of these skills uh, self-taught?
1: A lot of it is just self-taught. It's more along the lines uh, because uh, my friend was in college for this stuff I actually had access to his books and I was reading this stuff along with him and picked up on it that way
0: awesome and were you always sort of a uh, like a like a lifelong like comics fan uh growing up uh, you know going to stores and and, and picking up comics
1: yes um uh, mainly from like my junior high school years To even to now, I mean, my most vivid memory of my very first comic book, if I remember this correctly, was Uncanny X-Men 191. And the only reason I remember that was it was because that was the first time that I have ever seen Colossus get split apart by
0: Division. Right. Well, that's a that's a good way to uh, hook a hook a kid in with with comics is to show them something as awesome as uh, Colossus getting pulled apart by by the Vision.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly.
1: I mean, that was kind of like the one major thing, and then from there, from that one issue, my mother got me into reading GI Joe uh, comic books, the old Marvel GI Joe comic books, and that kind of stuck. And then between X Men and that, I got into Wonder Woman and She Hulk which kind of been like more of my mainstays more so than anything else.
0: Nice. And I would just guessing from the, the, the elevator pitch you gave us on, on this comic, I would think Wonder Woman and She-Hulk would maybe be, be an influence on, on, on this book. Is that, is that correct?
1: More Wonder Woman only because of the storyline of Amazon attacks. The whole idea that there's different cultures of Amazons that's out there in the world. That not everything is centralized around Greek culture. That what attracted me to doing this book.
2: That's sort of a that's a storyline that's sort of underrated with, uh, with the, the the Justice League uh, comics, on the Amazon's attack. There's not really a good collection out there of it, and I know because I've searched for it, and uh, but that's cool that that inspired the book. Um, when you were like, so when once you wrote, wrote and drew the first issue yourself, were you able to find an artist for the next couple of issues or did you keep drawing it after that?
1: I'm still drawing this series from that's awesome, from issue number one all the way to seven, and I've already got uh, the book scripted out to issue 13. I want to get through the first story arc, I'm building this world a, a particular way for I could get to her actual background
2: okay that's cool and then um so with the uh the the like the many inspirations for this book uh like her her height and uh her physique sort of what was the inspiration there for that character was it just because of sort of like the amazonian uh like i guess heritage or sort of like archetype is that sort of why she sort of has her the the build that she does it was kind of more
1: of the mythos because when we think of Amazons in a modern sense, it got very muddied. Yeah. Because when you think about it in modern terms, it's like a woman who is well built or muscular could be considered an Amazon but does not have the height. And yeah, women who have the height but not the build. And just like it got very, very muddied and I'm up here thinking, it's like, well maybe that's more of a cultural thing. Mm. And thinking about how the Greeks dealt with it, it really wasn't about height or physique. It was more about the culture that they were born into. So I started looking at, um, I'm not certain if you remember this um, book, it, it was a, the Stan Lee's Just Imagine series where he redid Wonder Woman. Yeah. He did Wonder Woman up under the Aztec culture. Dealing with the sun gods and everything like that.
2: Yeah, that's a great. Series. It was like a one.
1: It was like a one shot book, and I was like, when I went back and took a look at that, I was like, yeah, this could be very, very interesting if done correctly. So I took another standpoint on it and I started looking up Incan culture, and one of the things that I was planning to bring into the Amazonia series is the fact of her mother's side of the family being that her mother is uh, from brazil from that part of the region where the incan culture still has a lot of hold to it and dealing with the incan gods and the fact that their gods were characterized in certain certain aspects here so like the old ancient gods there varied in height depending on who they were in front of. So that was one of the reasons why the height height and build was so important in this series. The fact that she is a giant among regular people, but yet can maintain her, her build and be able to walk into standardized buildings and everything because she's warping the space around her. You know one of her powers here is you know that's constantly on it's like she's able to warp the space around her to fit into different buildings and rooms and stuff to that magnitude without causing any destruction or uh, making other people feel uncomfortable it's like she's could stand completely erect in a normal room but yet the people see her at the same size that, that she really is
2: that's really cool that was something that sort of struck me when I was looking at the artwork was her height. I always sort of like to see tall people represented in books, I guess, is another way. You know, especially when there's sort of that idea that, you know, if you're if you're tall, you're sort of monstrous and there's nothing cool about you. So I'm kind of liking to see when media sort of gives people who are more, you know, more vertical, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and more tall, uh, some spotlight. Um, I have sisters that are all like over six feet tall and it, it's important for them to see, be represented in things.
1: And that, and the fact that most artists don't want to keep height into the proper perspective. Yeah. If you notice that. And that's one of the key things that I always emphasize. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't really found the artist to take over that aspect of it, because that is a requirement.
2: Yeah. That's so cool that you stuck to your vision, of the character that way. And then also you get to do some cool visuals with the character as well. Like there's one on the Kickstarter or maybe it's on your website of her just towering over uh, a a character and it's a great image. Mm
0: -hmm. So I know you mentioned uh, like She-Hulk, you know, enjoying She-Hulk stories in the past, but did you look at like other like larger characters like maybe like a big Barda like to sort of try to figure out Um, how you wanted her to to be sized?
1: Yes and no. Big Barter history is more what I drew from, or at least the female furies. Mm -hmm. And if you have ever read that recent series, it's a good pickup. It explained explained a lot about uh, Granny Goodness's uh, mentality. I never thought that Granny Goodness would have went through what she went through and the fact that she created the theories for one particular thing.
2: That's interesting. I'll have to pick that up. That's really cool. And so yeah, the, he, the setting of the like sort of the plot of the book, where did that come from, having her arrive after being convicted for uh, a murder that she didn't commit?
1: Ironically enough, Amazonia was really supposed to have been a spinoff book to another series that I created called Last Line of Defense. Okay, and what Last Line of Defense was supposed to be, it was supposed to be like a group book, where it starts off uh, Elisa finally joining up with this group after um, after the said incident that happened to her in high school, and this is where she kind of like learned her powers and everything. But she was kind of like a secondary character in that series. The main character, Jonathan Mason was kind of like a uh, a military leader who had who had went through this one uh process where he's like completely invulnerable mm. but in, but being him being kind of like a test pilot and everything he also had kind of like an outer body experience where he actually trained up under the angels it's like oh, wow. you know he was able to train up under the angels after this one piloting accident and he lost his humanity mm. he, he didn't understand other humans and whatnot so it was like you know once he came back you know to being on earth it's like he, he had to like relearn everything and knowing what he knows now it's kind of like him readjusting and leading this team without truly leading them to their like their death and whatnot like it was pretty much like he was there kind of like last line of defense for the world and and his team
2: so that's cool so you have a lot of like background into like folklore and sort of uh like mythology is that Mm -hmm. something you've always been interested in
1: to be quite honest not really but it's the folklore and the mythology that makes good modern stories because without it you lose that lore. You lose what the lore actually represents. You lose the morality that it teaches.
2: That's really cool. And so like, uh, so, do you sort of, when you're doing a book like this, do you go in with an idea for a, a plot line and then try to find maybe a myth or a story that aligns with that plot and try to sort of incorporate the messages and ideas from that myth into the story?
1: No, I actually don't do it that way. What I just pretty much do is just, I just talk about pretty much life. It's like, how would a person deal with this situation and write it based upon that and let the reader come to their own conclusion as far as what, you know, moral lesson that they're supposed to learn
2: from. That's cool.
0: So, Joe, uh, Noah and I are big sort of process junkies sort of like talking about making comics. And you're listed as the the writer and the artist. Are you um, handling like all of the art chores, like uh, coloring it, lettering it and that kind of stuff?
1: Well, I handle the penciling, inking and lettering. Um, Elaine Haygood is the editor on this series. Mm-hmm. And I bounce between Corey Green and Christine Bronson for the coloring aspect of it.
0: Uh very cool. And um, so Elaine is your is your editor. Um, mm-hmm. how closely uh do you guys work as far as like when do you do you do you do a draft? and turn it over to her or do you like discuss like story ideas before before you do the draft
1: no elaine comes much later in the process Uh, what typically happens is this i will go ahead and script everything Mm -hmm. i will look it over i was like okay i think we got something good go ahead and do the penciling and everything to that magnitude get the inking and stuff done and once we get to the lettering aspect that's when elaine comes in and elaine looks everything over it and be like wait a second this part of the story doesn't make sense
0: okay and, and, then and that's
1: where we get into the discussion it's like how do we make this part make more sense to apply to the overall theme of the story
0: Okay, that's got to be a uh, a very helpful sort of resource because uh, you know a lot of times when I talk to writers, um, you know we live with these stories in our heads so much that they that we think that they're they're clear to us, but sort of having that that editor or that beta reader might mm-hmm. say, hey, um, this is not as clear as it needs to be, or you're not e- explaining it as well. So Elaine's got to be very very helpful there.
1: Yes, because a, a lot of times it's more about people's reaction. And a lot of times we're thinking that we're capturing the right reaction that people would typically have in certain situations. And we don't. It it, it wouldn't make sense. And, and she would catch those things and she would say, well, let's rework the dialogue. You might want to go this route or this character might want to say it this way as opposed to the way that you're thinking. And And we will go hours talking about just the process of how dialogue would go about or why a scene would work out a certain way and sometimes it may cause me to go back and re-pencil something it may cause me to go back and rewrite a whole page uh, of dialogue but it works out in the long run
0: and are you doing those pencils digitally or are you drawing those like on uh, on a, on a- on a like a 11 by 17 board how how are you doing your pencils?
1: I'm, I'm still on 11 by 17 board even though I could do it digitally I prefer not to I'm not comfortable with um, digital penciling but I'm more comfortable with digital inking for some reason.
0: And being the 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 penciler um, and the you know handling a lot of the art chores are you sort of working full script or are you working marvel method where you sort of know where you want the page to go and and at the pencils you sort of you know working everything out
1: no i'm full script i i always sit in front of a microsoft word application and detail panel by panel what i want for each panel
0: and do you think that allows you to sort of uh sort of switch mindsets where like, when you're sitting in front of that, uh, you know, that word document, you sort of, you got your, you got your writer hat on, but Mm -hmm. then when you, you know, close that file down and you either, you know, you print it off and you sit down at the, at the board to, to draw, you're able to, um, since you've worked full script and you've planned everything out, um, you're able to sort of flip the switch that, you know, now I'm in art mode and I'm not really questioning the, the, the story. I've already worked all of that out. Is, is, is that how it works for you? After I print
1: it out and everything and sit down at the drawing table, I'll look at that script. I will look at the page. And I'll, and I'll look at how the page is going and how the page is flowing. I will actually make changes to the script at the drawing table as far as what is actually physically on the page. At the drawing table, based upon does this make sense drawing wise? So, in each phase of the process, you do have the means to edit as you go along. So, you're not married to one particular thing. So, whatever I write up in a script is not, you know, stamped and made, you know, put in stone where I can't be changed
2: so um how do you so on the so when you uh draw do you do like digital pencils and then print it out on like blue line on the paper and then ink over that or do you uh how do you how does your art process
1: i do it i do it the other way around i actually do physical pencil on bristol board scan it and then digitally ink
2: oh that's awesome what do you use to digitally ink
1: um i actually use uh uh what is the clip paint studio oh sweet the nice. old manga studio the old manga studio software suite they did what clip studio paint i believe is what it's called now
2: yeah yes. I, I just got that myself i'm trying to figure out how to use it um i need to get a good tablet for it do you use like a Wacom or do you use a?
1: well what i just picked use? uh before i used to have a, a vis tablet 12 inch tablet which is no longer supported by windows 10 so i just moved over to a Huey on Canvas 12, Canvas Pro 12.
2: That's awesome, do you recommend it? Well, so far
1: from where I've been do- using it, I'm up here like I'm happy with it, I can't complain. I mean, changing tablets is like a hard thing to do, especially if, you, if you're so used to Wacom or so used to one type of tablet and you move over to a different brand. It does take some getting used to, but I kind of like the Canvas, my Canvas 12 Pro. I know other people have been going for like the X-Pen and I was like, I was in between the two. Yeah. I went with the Huey on.
2: That's awesome. So that, that tablet, then that's just sort of, um, that doesn't have a screen on it, does it? Or is that, No, this
1: one, this one has the screen. So it, it does have this a screen. is the one that has the built in monitor into it. Yes.
2: Okay. That's awesome, man. I'll have to look up that brand. I've never heard of it before.
1: Yeah, it's a, the What I'm using now is is Huion H U I O N, and you want to look up Canvas Pro
2: 12.
1: Okay. Or is it 16? Give me one second. I could tell you one second here if it's a 16 or a 12.
0: So I think and suspense. Well, yeah, but well, while he's looking for it, um, Noah, you you 16. 16. Oh, cool. So Noah, you do, um, you currently still do, uh, pen, uh, pen and inks, pencil and inks on boards. Do you, um, do you, I know you did a new, you have a new process, but are you, um, scanning your pencils or are you inking over your pencils?
2: I ink over my pencils normally, but I'm tr- I'm always trying to pick up new skills. Yeah. With everything.
0: So Joe, um, th- it looks like you, and from this interview, you have a lot of sort of the, the, the story built out. Um, you have a couple of other titles. Um, do they, do they uh, link in or hint at uh, some connectivity there? Not
1: directly, if mm-hmm. I could say it in that aspect of it. The AWF series and Primetime Saturday Night are uh, sister books to one another but the way that that universe fits into Amazonia is very, very, very big. And I'm not, well, I could tell you guys what it is, but I'm not really ready to tell it in continuity to that, to that, to those two series.
0: Well, keep, keep it secret for now. Okay, cool. Um, So I I know that there's, you know, I've had, we've had a couple of folks who um, have written some, some wrestling books. Um, on the podcast what are some of the the parallels you see in like sort of uh superhero comics to 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 pro wrestling like uh
1: you
0: know there's you know there's there's good guys there's bad guys there's drama suspense like what what do you see there in a way it's just the way that you take
1: it like in like for example in my in my two books here fact of the matter that the wrestlers don't know that they truly have superpowers is, is the key thing so to them what they do in the ring the fact that they are tossing people 30 and 40 feet up in the air that they are able to do mid-air counters of grapples in air it's like it's almost getting back to the point of have of having like ultimate muscle but
2: not really in the same aspect that's cool. So is it sort of a lot of, um, like, all, the, all the, the moves you're referencing right there? Like, I, I know that, like, you, you know your wrestling stuff. Mm-hmm. So is this sort of written for the wrestling fan inside of you? Yes. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, for, especially for the female wrestling fan here, because one of the things that I always see a lot of, and it is the fact that when we think of pro wrestling, we always only think of male uh, the male side of things what about the female side and also I'm getting also get tired of well the prototypical female wrestler is somewhere somewhere between 411 and 511 it's like wait a second that will rule out people like Mad Maxine and uh I can't even think of her name here. The one that used to be around Val Venus. It's like all the taller wrestlers that was over six feet. So that was mm-hmm. kind of like the one thing that kind of drew, uh, drew the first artist that I had for the AWF book, because all the wrestlers that I had was all different body types, different heights, you know, different shapes and everything. So, you know, with uh, AWF, I was like the tallest wrestler that I have, on uh on the roster right now is seven two and i believe the
0: shortest one is like five two that's
2: awesome that's really great
0: so turning our attention back to to amazonia the book that's on kickstarter right now um Mm -hmm. this was something that you you've had since uh since about uh 2008 right
1: and this is like 2008 was when i published the very first issue of Amazonia.
0: And so now you're going to, to Kickstarter with, with one, do you, uh, do you have plans or Are you, are you guys hoping to maybe sort of, uh, you know, do, do another issue on Kickstarter? And you're thinking like every quarter, every six months, do you, have you thought that out yet? I'm, my
1: thought was at least every six months to a year we 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 go back and we we add an extra issue. So as I'm still creating on the front end, so like, it's like for example, I'm actually drawing issue number seven right now. Since we're relaunching the series, we're starting at issue number one. So that gives me enough time to do like issue number seven and redo issue number two for a remastered version. So I'm planning to redraw that whole issue out again. Oh, wow. From top to bottom story is going to be the same but it's going to be um new um new uh, new pages new graphics and everything for it so it, it's going to look completely different and on that kickstarter you're still going to have the opportunity to have the original because i believe where my plans was originally for issue number two is that we're doing the remastered version but I'm also gonna have the original version still available and this will be like the last time
0: that you'll be able to get that original version of issue number two. So you had mentioned at the beginning of the the interview that you've sort of been at this for, for about 10 years. Uh-huh. Um, you know, 2020 has sort of seen the uh, you know a lot of cons being postponed until hopefully next year. Were you taking this book to to shows uh, before the the outbreak of the coronavirus?
1: Yes, and and uh, hopefully it was clearly documented in the in the Kickstarter. Yes, we've been taking this series everywhere with us.
0: And do you uh, to see- be quite
1: honest here, we took. Uh, Being that it was my very first New York Comic Con, we took close to, what was it, um, 30 copies of each issue of Amazonia, and we sold out of them by Saturday afternoon.
0: Wow. wow. Congrats. And that was only
1: three, that was only four, no, was it four or was it three? Yeah, it was like, that was only like the first three or four issues. So that's like 120 issues that were sold.
2: Man, good for you! That's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Do and when you live you're up Ch- in
2: the East Coast area?
1: No, I'm actually uh, Midwest. I'm here in Chicago.
2: Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's even better. Like you don't even have like that. I mean, like that's that's more impressive when it's like new audience and everything. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome.
0: And when you're at your table and you're trying to sort of uh, bring somebody in and excite them about the book, is it, uh, are you looking for, because it seems like you can, you can pitch this two different ways. Um, You can pitch it as somebody who's in the superhero comics and, and then Probably a lot with the with the other titles, you can try to bring in somebody who might be more into wrestling. So do you how, how do you try to feel them out to see like, hey, is this person into wrestling or is this person into sort of like mainstream dream comics? Like, how, how do you how do you try to perfect the pitch there?
1: Normally, the second or third question that I ask is typically what are you into? I don't, I don't make the choice for them. I let, I, I let them make their own choice. So I ask them, what are they into? If they go, move more towards the superhero type stuff, I introduce them more to Amazonia, but still tell them about the other books. Mm-hmm. If they're more into wrestling, that's when I hit them with Primetime Saturday Night and then the background story with AWF. You know, cool. it's kind of like one of those things where you have to drive the questioning to one or the other and let them choose. It's never about what you want to sell. It's what what they like is more so important to me than anything else. And if I don't have anything that they like, I try to steer them to something that's similar to their interest.
0: Yeah, that that's got to be a great approach. And also, um, you know, it it hopefully gets you uh, like returning customers because if you know you 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 know you you find that person's interest and if you pitch them the right book you know, they they, they might be, you know, more likely to go, Hey, you know, when I talked to Joe at the con, he, he you know, he gave, he, he listened to me, he found out what I was into and he, you know, he gave me the book that, that, that fit me. So hopefully that sort of attention, um, you know, not it's, it's, it's a pitch, but you're also being sort of uh, you know, you're, you're taking interest in that person and you, and you want to find the book that, that fits them the best. So hopefully exactly. that helps you with, with return customers.
1: Well yes and no pretty much i have made money for other people (laughs) in doing that and that's kind of like the bad thing about it but in the bigger scheme with me that person does come back and say hey i remember you you gave me that you know hint about taking you know taking up this book you were you were right that's right up my alley but yet it never came that flow never comes back to buying my book until maybe like the second or third time it's like you know it's like hey you're a good guy now I want to buy your book after the third or fourth time you see me
2: nice. interesting but that's did you enjoy the the interaction with people though at conventions in most
1: cases yes what i don't like about conventions are the ones that want to argue with you mm. or easily offended because they don't like the mirror approach that i always have with my books
2: you, what would you say that mirror approach
1: is? The mirror approach is pretty much they will come and they will look at either like something that was in the book or one of the advertising images and everything. And they would look at it and they would be like, I'm offended by it and this, that, and the other. And then we take a good look at them. It's like, oh, you match up to some of the characteristics and that image exposed something about you that you don't like mm. like for example with amazonia i had a couple of females come by it's like the body type is so wrong this that and the other you know i'm 63 and i'm not built that way yeah. you just admitted to me that you're upset because you're not built like this a fantasy woman a woman who is who, who is imaginary you're real
2: yeah exactly to be able to, to
1: understand book. her plight that she goes through regardless of what body type that you have <laughs> you know those are the types of things that is like you know you get offended about the image that you emulate um, one of the characters in uh, AWF and Primetime Saturday Night goes by the name of Jugs and I she's known to be well endowed women who are well endowed will come to the table will be ready to argue it's like i'm offended by that and one of my female artists for that series would be like but yet you are in doubt just like her why is this a complaint you know those are the type of mirror the mirror the mirror image problem that i have with a lot of my books it is it exposed those people to not liking who they are and re- you can't really get them to see that you're complaining about yourself and that's not never a good thing i want to i want you to buy the book where you could build yourself up because now you can see somebody doing something that is amazing with having that that feature or having that that or characteristic
0: Nice. So uh, Joe, I, I, I enjoy talking to you um, and, and the book, all these books sound super interesting, but uh, as we close up here, um, you did the elevator pitch for, for this book, but why don't you do uh, an elevator pitch for, for all three of your books uh, as we close up? Okay.
1: So, you know, we know about Amazonia. If you, if you like the idea of the Amazonia SWAT team commander trying to do the best of what she can for her hometown pick up amazonia we do have amazonia number one on kickstarter as well right now um you could get the book in print with a digital copy of it for eight bucks here so it is reasonably priced we're not trying to gouge anybody for the 10th anniversary edition the 10th anniversary edition will include the original number one that was done back in 2008 which has been out of print since 2010. Oh, wow. So not only are you getting the current version of issue number one, you're also getting a copy of that built into that, into that set here. So it's all one book. You're getting both, both versions. And you can see the night and day difference in how it was redrawn. And the cool thing about that is that the original number one was drawn pretty much, except for the first three pages was done pretty much all in a sketchbook. And that's come from me not knowing any better at the time that I did that.
2: Hey, cool. there's no rules. That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
2: And how now, about the,
1: the other two books? Now, Primetime Time Saturday Night and AWF are sister books to one another. Pride Time Saturday Night is the WWE presentation of the actual pro wrestling. And that book is always going to be anywhere between 50 to 52 pages each issue here. Uh, We just completed the first story arc here. So um, the first story arc runs from issue number zero to issue number three. We just recently kickstarted issue zero and one and it was successful here. So we should be looking at kickstarting issue number two within, see we did did that back in April. So we probably end up doing that sometime prior to February again. So issue number two should be, rocking and rolling on kickstarter sometime in february here and the book is already done it's like we already have issue number um issues one through three already done it's already been out in conventions and stores and everything as of right now so when we launch issue number two on kickstarter there will be a, a new kickstarter variant for that and i will be working on issue number four here probably late december AWF is the sister book is that's the behind the scenes about the uh, pro wrestling federation. And the one cool thing about uh, AWF, it deals with the fact that the federation itself is a training ground for the next breed, uh, next breed of superheroes.
0: Very cool. So what would be the best way to people, for people to find you online? Like your website, your social media, do you you want to mention those uh, as well? Yes, you could always find me on
1: Facebook at Joe D. McPhee or on Facebook, or you could go to our company page, Exigency Studios. That's X I G E N C Y Studios. You could go to our company website, which is exigencystudios.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Silfolk. That's S I L V A S and Victor B O L T, and that's V A S Baker O L T. Or you could catch me on DeviantArt, and I rarely post there, but every so often I will post like new concept art and stuff there on DeviantArt, and my name up under DeviantArt is Silverbolt14.
0: Very cool. So, uh, Noah, do you have any any final thoughts or or, or questions as, as we close up?
2: Nope, that was a great interview. Thanks for sharing your stories with us.
1: Not a problem here. I'm always available. If you guys want to know more about our stuff, just hit me up.
0: Awesome. awesome. And I just want to remind everybody that the, the Kickstarter is is live now and it's going on until October 18th of 2020. So make sure you, you jump over to Kickstarter um, and, and take a look for it. So, um, Joe, thanks so much uh, for being on. Um, I, I enjoy talking process, enjoy talking about these books, and I'm pretty excited to see, see more stuff from you.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure to be a part of, of this episode here.
0: Cool. So uh, for everybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service that you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at ConstructComPod. Instagram is ConstructingComicsPod. Facebook and YouTube is ConstructingComics. Also, Noah and I are part of a Kickstarter going on right now. Uh, Check out the Facebook page for Ageless Press. There is a Kickstarter going on for Dino Thrashers. Uh, Noah is the artist uh, on that. Um, we are we're, we're rolling along on that. Um, so we're going to have links to our stuff and Joe's stuff in the in the show notes to make it as easy for everybody to check it out. But uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please uh, be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.